Hello, Internet, and welcome to Hot Tub Thoughts, the place where I completely forgot this episode was going to come out on Easter, so we have a very ironic guest today, also where your thoughts think. Today, I am joined by Lauren from Let's Get It On Film as we break down how sex scenes have changed over the decades. I told you it was going to be ironic. But first, an outdated reaction to The Dress. How did you get back? the end, I had to project my consciousness forward into a suspended quantum state version of myself that exists across every possible instance of time. That makes no sense. Well, what if you were smarter? Roughly one week before the wedding of Kyra Johnston and Grace Blaisdell, the mother of the bride took a photo of the dress that she planned to wear and sent it to her daughter. What happened next, no one could have foresaw. As though by magic, the dress seemed to change color depending on who was looking at the photo of it. To this day, there are still people out there that think this dress is a color different than what it really is. This is an outdated reaction to the dress. I swear this shit is white and gold. It is white and gold. I'm looking at a photo of it right now. That is white and gold. It looks white and gold. It, I can't explain it. It looks white and gold. I'm also looking at a document that says it is actually blue with black lacing. Like, that is the actual color of the dress in real life. It is blue and black. I don't know why it looks white and gold to me. I don't know why my brother sees it as blue and black. Makes no sense to me. Wikipedia claims it's some optical illusion shit. You know, they had they have a photo on the Wikipedia page of that duck that's also a rabbit from How I Met Your Mother. There's a big difference between a drawing that's intentionally that way and a real-life fucking dress that just changes colors magically. I, I, I don't understand it. I can't understand it. It blows my mind to this day. Imagine if other things in life worked this way. Like, imagine if photos of people worked that way. Like, if one day you pulled up a photo of Michael Jordan, showed it to someone, and they're like, yo, who's the white guy? Like, that'd be crazy. Imagine watching Space Jam with someone, and someone's like, yo, I thought you said Michael Jordan's in this. And you're like, yeah, he is. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's a white guy running around on court. That'd be insane. Absolutely insane. The craziest part is I remember when this happened, and still to this day, there are people who will fight other people thinking that they, not physically, but like, argue with people, thinking that they are just pulling their leg on this somehow. That they are somehow just full of shit. At New Year's Eve, this got brought up at my uh, family dinner, and my brother was like, you're all full of crap, you know that this is blue and black, you can see it that way, we're all like, no, we see this as gold and white, it's... It's this weird thing where a good chunk of the world just thought that the rest of the world had this big conspiracy against them. I mean, don't get me wrong, we do have some conspiracies. Like, you know how every fourth person is told about the moon conspiracy so they can help lie to the other people? Or we're all, we all know about the anti-Noah Ryan conspiracy that we're all a part of, to systematically make everything in his life harder. But this is not one of those conspiracies. This is not a thing 
that we're all in on. And also, what a dumb thing to be in on. Like, we have other, more important shit to cover up, alright? We're busy covering up entire, like, slaughters of people. We're busy covering up a moon landing and a secret history of the world. And you think we're gonna devote half of all humankind to pretending that the dress looks white and gold? Get off your fucking high horse. This has been an outdated reaction to the dress. Join us now for an interview with Lauren from Let's Get It On Film as we break down how sex scenes have changed over the years. You've made the wild allegations, but you have proven nothing. You made this a long journey just to show the world that they were right about you. You are incapable of conducting a real interview. You're a joke. I'm joined now by Lauren, who is a genuine professional in the entertainment industry, a co-host of a podcast all about sex, and 2006 Time Magazine Person of the Year. Lauren, how have you been? I've been great. I mean, some said I peaked in 2006, but you know, I've just been going up and up and up. Yeah, it's been a good time for me, especially lately with launching my podcast. Do you want to break down exactly what it is you guys do on your podcast? That way I don't butcher it. Thank you. Please let me take it away. I am Lauren of uh, Kate and Lauren, who produce uh, Let's Get It On Film, the all things sex and film and TV podcast. We take sex scenes from popular movies and television, things that we like, things that we've seen, and we dissect the scene the way some people might dissect a fight scene or a dialogue scene, you know, giving it real care and attention and using our filmmaker chops to really like shine a light on some of the things that you may not notice the first time you're watching and just there for the horny material. Let's get right into it. Mm -hmm. What makes a good sex scene? Okay. So on our podcast, we broke it down into five criteria. We call this the stop scale. This is the S-T-A-H-P scale. So stop uh, means soundtrack, uh, time, authenticity, heat, and production value. Now we use those criteria because, you know, a good sex scene might be beautifully shot. It might have a beautiful score behind it. It might be really, really sexy, but they're not doing anything that you would want to attempt in real life. whether because you would pop a joint out or, you know, you're up against a bookcase or something. Or because it lacks consent. Or that, that is one thing that we talk about. Um, So uh, for one thing, when we say sex scene, we do not include non-consensual sex because non-consensual sex is not a thing in the same way. You know how um, media reports say sometimes like underage women Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's a child. That's child. There's no such thing as an underage woman. I listened yeah. to your episode on uh, pool sex scenes to yes. prepare for this. Yeah. Um, had it on while I was at work. Turned mm-hmm. it off whenever someone walked into the uh Yep. That's the way the to do room. it. Yep. And one thing you guys talked about with the second film you brought up was how mm-hmm. they... They do little things, you know, in there to be like, oh, we real quick, we better make sure that this seems sort of consensual. Exactly. Yeah. And that one was a was a, a kind of dicey one because it's all the uh, characters involved were teenagers in, in that episode. And 
And because it was pool sex, we were trying to sort of be like, well, teenagers may not be the safest when they're experimenting sexually and they might be willing to do it in a pool, uh, which you shouldn't because you don't want a lot of things getting up in there. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, so we, we try and take a very sex positive, very like, uh, understanding, flexible approach to the scene. Um, but neither of us are really interested in dealing with like, when you search for like worst sex scenes on the internet, mm -hmm. you get a lot of lists of rape scenes. And we're just not interested in that. That's not, that's not what we want to talk about. Um, we're much more interested in celebrations of fun, uh, sexy, positive stuff, stuff you might see. So over the years, have you noticed any kind of trends that have changed? I'll, I'll expand it to intimate scenes as a whole, mm -hmm. because obviously you go back far enough and you have less and less sex scenes because people were all like, oh, no, she showed her ankles. Although, you know, the first uh, some of the first films uh, were considered pornographic. You know, the film The Kiss that was, I think, uh 1896 or something? I do know. It, that was considered porn. That was so scandalous. Or like one of my favorite scenes that I've discovered uh, in researching for this podcast is a Hedy Lamarr scene from a German film. Uh, Ecstasy is from the 1930s. And it's the first depiction of a female orgasm on screen. And it's from the 30s. And I'm thinking like, that's incredible for context for the viewers we didn't get a flushing toilet in a movie until the what well, when did psycho come out 60s uh late 60s, 60s? exactly yeah yeah it's incredible so sexuality has always been a part of film because we love to be visually stimulated that sort of sensuality it really was a driving force in what people wanted to watch in terms of trends lately I think it's impossible to ignore how sexual media has become, especially in the 20 teens. Let's say so much of things in the 90s, there was a lot of sex on screen, but it wasn't mainstream. It would be something on Cinemax that you would watch after 9 p.m. when the kids were in bed. It wasn't something that you would talk about with your coworkers around the water cooler. Not the way that Game of Thrones, you know, all these other like really sexual like HBO series, Showtime series, just films in general. Like we show so much sex in media now and it's become so normalized, which I think can be good or bad depending on, on how you look at it. I mean, I don't know that you need to put a judgment value on it. It just is a fact. Since you mentioned Game of Thrones, Daenerys mm -hmm. and Khal Drogo are kind of held up a lot of times as this iconic, like, oh, what a great couple they are. Mm -hmm. But their relationship started with him purchasing her and then raping her. Yeah. And then another couple that gets held up all the time is Joker and Holly Harley Quinn, which if you oh, know yeah. anything about the Joker and Harley Quinn, you know they're not a good couple. Yeah. How do you kind of feel about this weird trend of media trying to be like, oh, but look at how beautiful this toxic relationship can be. That's a good point. I think something that we have to understand is that there's fantasies and there's reality. And 
sometimes what we enjoy in fantasy is not what we want to enjoy in reality. So like recently I did an episode and I used a scene from Outlander. Outlander has a lot of consent issues, has a lot of power dynamic issues, but you can tell that it's really playing into a fantasy for especially, let's say, older married women who want to feel like some things are happening beyond their control. And I think it's good to allow space for people to have these fantasies, but you also have to be like, yeah, but I wouldn't want to just be slung over the back of a horse and carted off somewhere. And, you know, I wouldn't want that in my real life. It's the same sort of like mentality for me as Lana Del Rey songs, which are like, oh, I love this bad boy who treats me so badly and uh, I never feel safe, but I like it, I guess. Uh, it's not for me, but I understand that like some people want to explore that, but just as long as you're understanding that it's not going to be good for you in the real world, just keep it in your mind. So do you think it's a, do you, I don't know, I'm kind of likening this in my mind to the argument you hear from people over the age of 35 about video games, where they're like, oh, oh video sure. games made my kid violent. Do you think that it's important that we have that conversation then? Like, I know Joker and the Harley Quinn, it happened when that film came mm -hmm. out and a bunch of 16-year-old girls were posting online, I just want to find the Joker to my Harley yeah, Quinn. Yeah. And other people were like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But like, no one called it out on like Daenerys and Cal Drogo. Yeah. Should we be constantly having that conversation and pointing it out? I mean, I think more importantly than like policing media is teaching critical thinking is the same sort of things that you should be applying towards your media, towards politicians, towards anything that is trying to tell you what to think. You should always, always be given the tools to unpack that and realize what you should take away from it and what fits your view and what doesn't. When people are, are saying like video games are violent, um, it's like, sure, like some people enjoy the fantasy of playing Call of Duty or whatever. I personally love more RPG stuff, but that's another story. The newest game um, system I own is a PlayStation 2. Oh, I play really? the I only whenever if I play video games, I'm with some friends from high school and we're busting out the PlayStation 2 or the <laughs> N64 playing Mario Party or Battlefront 2, something like that. Oh, Mario Party's great, but uh lately I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate. It's I I'm I'm obsessed with like fantasy RPGs. Um but just because I love playing a rogue doesn't mean I'm going to take a knife and slit someone's throat, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I can understand the difference between a fantasy and reality. And that's the sort of thing that we have to be instilling rather than looking at every piece of media and wondering, what is this teaching kids? It's like, does it have to teach them anything? Can't mm -hmm. kids just have something without internalizing it? You know, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on these things. Well, that's why we start podcasts. <laughs> that's you know? true. It's, it's, yeah. there is a, an amount of, um, uh, not arrogance, but the idea that like, I have a lot of opinions and things and people should hear oh, them. When I put together the trailer for my podcast, before I even made an episode, I think my tagline was literally a place for me to talk about the things I want to talk about and make guests mm. talk about the things I want to talk about. <laughs> because I think I listened to that trailer. That's good. I love this weird, crazy industry that I kind of fell into. It, it's 
so fun for me to be able to share even the, you know, small amount that I know and understand about film with people. What's your favorite era in film? And follow-up question, is it the same era that you think had the best sex scenes in film? Oh, absolutely not. I love the 30s and 40s in film. Um, I know I had just mentioned a sex scene from the 30s, but that's a real outlier. Um, I really, I'm a fan of classic films. I think things like Bringing Up Baby, The Philadelphia Story, um, you know, even a few later ones, you know, Roman Holiday, these types of really iconic, witty, often romantic, funny things. Like, I think those are just so beautiful and and pure in a way. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting because even though some of them had a bit of raunchy humor, having sex in there would kind of ruin it because there's an idyllic nature to some of the, the chemistry that sex would then get in the way of. So what do you think is the best era for sex scenes in film? I almost think it's now or on its way. There are a lot of sex scenes throughout the 80s and the 90s. Things are getting, you know, fun and flirty and sexy, but they stick to very, like, heteronormative patterns. uh, And we're seeing a lot more interesting stuff in new films. Um, This is just coming to mind because I watched it recently. Uh, Moxie, the Amy Poehler film on Netflix. Mm -hmm. There's a scene with these two teenagers in a steamed up car. And the guy actually says like, hey, I actually don't want to have sex because I want my first time to be special and not like in the car outside (laughs) of a football game. And I think that's really interesting. It's not necessarily a sex scene. It's an intimate scene about sexuality, but it's really interesting because it's exploring aspects of sex that isn't just, you know, sticking it in and getting done with it. It's, it's the whole experience of being intimate with someone. So I want to get your take on a few specific films. The first one is one that People who aren't film people probably don't know, and even some film people probably don't know, but I feel like it's very iconic in the sexual film Mm -hmm. genre, uh, and that's Barbarella. Oh, Barbarella! A classic, I believe, 1960s uh, space cop sex Mm -hmm, thriller. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your thoughts on Barbarella? I mean... Which I discovered when I was 16. I found it on Netflix. It was right when I was getting into classic films. And I was like, Uh this is so weird. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, Jane Fonda, right? With Mm -hmm. one of her husbands as the director. Um, I can't recall which of her husbands. But uh, Jane Fonda as this gorgeous, like, buxom and, you know, voluptuous uh sexy space bearer who has to like introduce sexuality to these people and it's it's there's a a really great scene it's it's so raunchy i mean it's just so raunchy it's just a fun little sci-fi sex adventure it's like their version of let's see What's just a, a a silly raunchy? It's like their their version of like knocked up or like Zach and Mary make a porno. 
It's just like, we're just going to have a movie about sex. And this is how they can do that in the 60s. Zack and Miri Make a Porno is the third film I was going to ask you about. So if you want to go ahead and talk about that one. Well, I I don't want to finish. I want to finish talking about Virella because uh, there's a great, great scene that I'm definitely going to have to bring up on the podcast with um, Barbarella, Jane Fonda in this machine that is set up like a piano. And this evil scientist guy starts playing the piano and it starts working like magic fingers all across her body. And it's so funny because it's like, all you're really watching is this giant version of a vibrator Mm -hmm. and Jane Fonda like sweating and becoming overcome with feelings. And it's so, Oh, good so good i just love the way that that scene is shot um and there's another scene later where uh barbarella finally does it like people on earth do which is just holding your hands together yep. so funny um yeah no i i'll have to rewatch that because it's been a while it's i've seen more of the the scenes because i was looking for i was looking for sex scenes um but i haven't seen the full film in a very long time we're coming close to the end of the times. So the other two oh, films sure, sure. I had were Zack and Mary Make a Porno and mm-hmm. The Titanic. Well, uh, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, uh, it's actually been a long time since I watched that. That's um, Elizabeth Banks, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, love Elizabeth and Banks. And technically in the, um, in the Clerks verse, the uh, mm, Kevin, Sm- right. Kevin Smith universe, he uh, co-opted a character from it. In order to make it a part of his universe. Aw, that's cool. I feel like Kate will want to talk about that then. Because Kate likes Kevin Smith. Um, so maybe I shouldn't talk too much about Zack and Mary first. Because I feel like we should save that. But um, Titanic was actually covered in our first episode. We started with the theme Iconic. And we decided that Titanic is the iconic sex scene. Mm-hmm. So we really break it down shot by shot and uh, it's, it's worth a listen. It's, it's very fun. I think this is a good segue for you to plug your, uh, oh, yes. all your stuff. How, how, how perfectly timed. Yeah. Um, so check out, let's get it on film, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on, uh, I think even Stitcher. Can you believe um, and, and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at let's get it on film. Uh, and then very last thing I like to ask every guest I have, mm-hmm. what drugs do you think each member of the Scooby gang is on? I mean, Shaggy is baked all the time. Shaggy is just either doing edibles. If he's not doing edibles, he's smoking. It's He's probably hotboxing that van, so they're probably all a little high just from contact with Shaggy. We can all agree on that. Um, I think Daphne? Daphne strikes me as someone who, who does a little um, does a little does a little sniff here and there of uh, of that white stuff. Uh, I'm trying to be delicate, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, blow. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's 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 call it what it is, or at yeah. least what it would be called in the 70s. Blow. Exactly. Um, I like to use old terms. It's nice. Yeah. I tell um, people to get there in a jiffy all the time. Oh, uh, that's, 
that's quaint, <laughs> I think is the term. Um, so Daphne's doing a little blow here and there. Um, I feel like Velma, she's the kind of girl who's really straight-laced until there's one like weekend and they're all at a party and someone's like, Oh, I, I have this dealer. Like I, I was going to call him for, uh, for marijuana, but he also has like some mushrooms if anyone's interested. And Velma jumps at it. She's like, get me out of this reality right now. Um, You're the first person to not say that Velma's on Adderall. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel like that's too easy. I, I feel like she, she's very, I feel like she's, she's very straight edge until, until she has, uh, an excuse to, to get away from it all. Um, and then there's Fred. Fred just strikes me as a beer kind of guy. He doesn't, he doesn't strike me as very adventurous. Uh, and let's hope that Scooby is at least getting some CBD in his like, mm. <laughs> in like little Scooby snacks. Those what isn't that what Scooby snacks are? Is just edibles? I think so. I I mean, I I recently this is not a joke. Bought some CBD hemp oil treats for my dog. We actually have used those to cal calm our dogs too. They work wonders. Yeah, it's great. He's like thirteen years old. He needs he needs a lie down every now and then. It's perfect. All right, well, thank you to Lauren for coming on the show. Um, make sure to check her out on Let's Get It On Film. Follow them on Spotify or wherever else podcasts mm -hmm. are sold. Mm -hmm. Hey y'all, shout out to all my 12 fans. Wanted to let you know about another podcast called Nerds Talking. I've been talking with them a bit. Hopefully we'll do some kind of collab in the future. Maybe they'll come on here. Maybe I'll go on there. Who knows? I think you'll really like them. Here is their promo real quick before we get into our last bit. Hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Lafayette. And I'm Carlos. From Nerds Talking the Podcast. That's right. Where we talk about everything from UFOs. Yep. Comic books. I like that. Movies. Uh -huh. Streaming services. Yeah. Conspiracy theories, oh. ghosts, mm. video games, yeah. and more. Kick ass. All on Nerds Talking the Podcast. You can find us every Friday with new episodes on all digital platforms where you find your favorite podcast, Nerds Talking the Podcast. Now back to the show. Thank you once again so much to Lauren from Let's Get It On Film for coming onto the podcast and sharing her expertise about sex scenes and how they've changed over the years. If you would like to check out her podcast, it's on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are sold. I'll put a link to it in the description and I'll have them tagged on the Twitter post that I put this out on. If you find out about this through Twitter, there you go. I completely forgot that this episode was going to come out on Easter. Totally blanked on that until about three days ago when I was looking at it and doing this segment, and I realized that uh, it was, and I didn't have the other recording I have edited. So I guess we're just going to have the sex talk on Easter. It happens. I wanted to do something Easter-themed for the Smartass 5 today, but when I went online to search for what the best depictions of the Easter Bunny were, I learned that the vast majority of Easter films that have ever been made are just straight-up horror films. So instead, we're going to have a hot tub thought. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 
100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's just, when you think about it. What is with all the Easter Bunny horror stuff? Is that a common fear I didn't know about? Like, is this one of those situations where I just don't know something? Like, you know how sometimes you hit a certain age and it's like, you think you know how something works, but then you don't? Like, I once said to my friends, why is it that in, in movies, people just walk in to a shower and then turn it on instead of turning it on, feeling the water, and then getting in? And one of them went, that is how I get in the shower. I just walk in and turn on. We're like, what about the cold water? He's like, I just take it for a few seconds. If this is one of those moments and everyone else is secretly afraid of the Easter Bunny, let me know, because I am totally willing to adopt this universal fear or be recognized as the bravest man on earth for tolerating Easter every day. I'm cool with whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to know the truth. So please let me know. If you're afraid of Easter bunnies, I'll put a poll up on my Twitter. Please respond to that. Are you afraid of the Easter bunny? I'm just going to read through this real quick. I'm on IMDb. I'm going to read through this list of horror movies. This is the top 20 Easter horror movies. So this isn't even all of them. Just the top 20. Bunny Man came out in 2011. The Bunny Man Massacre, which is a sequel to Bunny Man, came out in 2014. Bunny Man Vengeance, the deadly adventure of Bunny Man continues in the third and final film in the Bunny Man franchise, came out in 2017. The Bunny Man, the Sleepy Ridge Murders, came out in 2009, apparently has no connection to the Bunny Man franchise. The Night Before Easter, Easter Day, Here Comes Peter Cotton Hell, Easter Casket. I'm going to read the description of this one. All hell breaks loose when Peter Cottontail, a.k.a. the Easter Bunny, hears about the Catholic Church... Hears that the Catholic Church is about to do away with all Easter rituals not, perta- not pertaining directly to the resurrection of Christ. Wow, what an interesting synopsis. Easter Sunday. Easter Bunny Bloodbath. This one I'm going to read the description for because I think this is just hilarious. 20 years ago, young Peter McKay. See what they did there? Peter, like Peter Cottontail. Young Peter McKay watched his father decapitate his sister on Easter morning. Peter never celebrated the Easter holiday again. Until now. That's such a vague premise. And the picture is just a bloody guy in an Easter bunny costume standing before a house. Why did his dad decapitate his sister? I don't know. I want to find out. I'm going to watch this tonight, actually. Um, Easter Bunny Kill Kill. Cottontail. Peter Rottentail. The Cereal Rabbit. Cereal Rabbit 3 Splitting Hairs. Cereal Rabbit 5 The Epic Hunt. What the hell happened to Cereal Rabbits 2 and 4? Are they just not as good? Are they like Jason 3 and 7? Like everyone just thinks they're shitty? Is that what this is? Is there a is there a cult following for the Serial Rabbit franchise that refuses to acknowledge Serial Rabbit 2 and 4? Because Serial Rabbit, Serial Rabbit, Serial Rabbit Splitting Hairs, and Serial Rabbit The Epic Hunt are apparently three of the 20 best 
Easter-themed horror films. Night of the Lepus, Cold Prey, On the Third Day, Enter the Wild, and Holidays. And there are so many other lists and so many other movies out there. I had no idea this was such a big thing. Oh my god. Like, for real, if if this is a common fear, let me know. I want to know. Are you afraid of Easter bunnies? I'm going to have to, like, rethink my entire idea of what is scary. What is fear? What is life? Is the Easter bunny scary? Well, one thing I am certain of is the fact that tater tots are better than fries. I don't know how many times I have to say this, they're so much better. Why do we have sweet potato fries and not sweet potato tots? I wanna know, all right? I want sweet potato tots. Give me sweet potato tots. If you know where I can find sweet potato tots, please send me that on Twitter or Instagram or wherever else I am. Follow me on Twitter, at Hot Tub Thoughts. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know the rest. If you ever just uh, have a thought, force it on the people around you. Force that thought into their ears. Let everyone know about your obscure pop culture thoughts. Because sometimes, you just gotta share what you know about the Serial Bunny franchise. It's really important. And have a happy Easter. I'll catch you next week.